Take your Bibles, turn to Romans 14. I hope and pray that, that each of us takes time each day and thanks God for His faithfulness, for He is faithful. Romans chapter 14. Romans 14 tells us three things that we need to know if we are to maintain unity in the church. First, genuine acceptance of one another. Uh, it's the only op option available to us as believers. The tendency, Paul says, of the strong believer to look down on a weaker brother and the tendency of the weaker brother to judge the stronger brother. Uh, these are attitudes that we must put away. Second, individual believers can disagree over non-essentials and still be right with God. What are you smiling at me for? <laughs> Third, we must submit to the Lordship of Christ and refrain from judging others over non-essentials because, Paul says, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, how do we do this? How do we maintain unity in the church? How do I uh, not judge others for what they do or don't do? And it all goes back, as everything has in the last few chapters, back to the beginning of chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God... To present your bodies as living sacrifices, as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind. You see, by nature, <clears throat> I want to do what I want to do. And if you don't like it, that's too bad. Isn't that how we all have? Isn't that the attitude we all have most of the time? Yes, it is. But Paul says that to maintain unity in the church, we can't have that kind of attitude. And if we, can, if we uh, present ourselves to Christ as a living sacrifice, and, and, uh, and we are not conformed to this world, and we begin to be transformed by the renewing of my mind, then I have, as Paul says in Philippians, the mind of Christ. Look in chapter 14, beginning with verse 13. He says, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather judge this, not to put a stumbling block or a fence before a brother. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is defiled in itself, but to him who considers anything to be defiled, to him it is defiled. For if because of food your brother is grieved, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Now Paul begins this section with an exhortation against judging one another. And again, I, I want to make sure that you are clear on this right here. What Paul is talking about are non-essentials. Okay? Let me tell you. When it comes to the essentials, you better judge me, and I better judge you, because those are non-negotiable. But that's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about those that are that are uh, 
non-essentials. The strong believer is primarily in view in these verses. Uh, Paul says not to impede fellow believers. He says, do not do something that will impede a fellow believer's spiritual progress. Love never does anything that will seriously damage a fellow believer. Now, it may be something that is perfectly legal. It may be something that is perfectly right. But that's not the issue. The issue is whether I had to do something, uh, something I practice in my life may be absolutely legitimate. But if it offends you, Paul says, then stop it. Stop it. It's just that simple. Just stop doing that if it impedes or, or angers or uh, puts a stumbling block before someone. The loving, caring, strong believer will be sensitive to the weakness in a fellow believer and he will avoid doing it even if it's good. Now that word stumbling block is an interesting word because what does a stumbling block do? It causes you to stumble. Do you know that the word for stumbling block gives the impression that it is something that is intentionally put out there? It's not something you just happen to go along and nothing you just stumble. No, Paul here, in the sense that he's using this, a stumbling block is something that I intentionally put in front of somebody to cause them to stumble. Now, if I love you, and I do, why would I do that? You understand what Paul said? He says, why would you do this if it causes this? Uh, he tells the strong there in verse 14 uh, that they're actually right about what they feel about food. But he tells them to consider the unity of the fellowship and the conscience of others. And a strong believer must never flaunt their freedom. Um, we must always seek to build these others up. Have you ever seen it in a church or in a marriage or any kind of a relationship where one or the other is always tearing the other person down? You know, a husband that, that constantly belittles his wife or a wife that's always talking about, you know, uh, I wish my husband was more like yours. Or a church that says, I wish our pastor was more like so-and-so. You know, or they're always criticizing what somebody's wearing, what somebody, where they're sitting, and, 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 and how often they come to church. All these kind of things. These tear down the church. And Paul says, don't put these stumbling blocks because rather than causing someone to stumble, rather than causing them to fall... We should be lifting each other up. Isn't that what we should be doing? We should be encouraging one another. We should be lifting one another up. And, and, and flaunting our freedom in front of a weaker brother may lead them to violate their conscience and may even cause them to walk away from the fellowship. I've seen it happen over stupid things. And Paul says, this is not how it's supposed to be. So what should we do? What are the strong to do? Well, Paul tells them there in verse 15. He says, for if because of food your brother is grieved, you are no longer walking in love. So the answer is, walk in love. We are to love one another. We talked about this last week. I love you. You love me, right? Okay. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. 
By this will all men know you're my disciples when you have love one for another. Now, for something in my life that I'm doing and it offends a weaker brother and he comes to me and says, I'm offended by that. And I say, too bad. I have a freedom. I'm free to do this. There's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. If you don't like it, don't look. Is that love? No. You know what that is? That's self-centeredness. That is love for me. <laughs> but it's not love for you. And so Paul says that we are to love one another. We are to walk in love. Love limits its own liberty. <clears throat> the strong are not wrong in their view of food and drink, Paul says. But they are wrong when they enjoy this freedom in a way that harms others. Right? Now, now, Paul's bringing all of this to a conclusion. He's bringing all of this to a place. Okay, so just bear with me as we get there. Um, <clears throat> he says, if, if we cannot put a freedom down, then I want to tell you something. If you have something in your life and you've, it's a freedom that you have in Christ, but you can't put it aside, you can't lay it down, then it's no longer a freedom. It's something that has enslaved you. Because you say, you say, you know what, I, just, I, want, I want to know this offends you, but I just can't stop doing this, and that's just too bad, because I'm not going to do this. And Paul said that no longer is it a freedom, but it is something that enslaves you rather than you enjoying it rightly. And the gospel, we need to understand the gospel and the unity of the church is top priority. That's top priority. My heart's desire for you, for you, is this, that you know God. Not that you know who you think God is or who you want God to be, but who the Bible says God is. My heart's desire for you is to see you grow and mature in the faith. And, and begin to walk by faith and not by sight. To become strong in your faith. That's my desire as a pastor. Jesus said, by this will all men know you're my disciples. That you have love one for another. So when the world looks at us. And they see all of this infighting stuff going on. Now, there's not a lot of that going on here now. <laughs> Thought I'd add that now in there. <laughs> but I've seen it. We've all seen it. And I want to tell you something, folks. There are legitimate reasons to break fellowship with professing believers. Okay? That's what we talked about, the essentials, the non-negotiables. But too often, give you an example. <laughs> Several years ago, I was uh, at a church and I, I was leading their music. And I had a church call me to come be a pastor, so I was leaving. So the new guy came in that they brought in to lead the music. And uh, the piano was on one side, the organ was on this side. And and he asked, he said, you know, I would, it would be easier for me. Now, why he said this, I don't know. If you swap them, if you put the piano over here and the organ over here. Oh, it's worse than that. <laughs> One deacon. Well, sure, that's no problem. 
The other deacon, hey, my mama played that piano right there, and it's going to stay right where she played it. That's his exact words. These two men got in a fist fight in the middle of a business meeting over, that over whether to move the piano and the organ. And I want to tell you, it broke the heart of God because of ridiculous things. Was that an essential? No. That's a, and, and that's what Paul, he says, you know, why do this? And, and he says uh, there in the end of verse 5, he says, do not destroy with him. Do not destroy, do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. <clears throat> now, notice the, the, to me, the sarcasm in Paul's voice almost. He said, you're destroying someone for whom Christ died because of food. Really? That's what you're arguing about? Look at verse 16. He says, therefore, don't let... What is for you a good thing be slandered. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Paul takes us to the cross on this issue. He says, go back to Christ. He's the one who died. Because Christ has redeemed your weaker brother or sister, we are to walk in love toward them. Now, I have Christian brothers and sisters that <clears throat> listen to music that I don't like. I didn't say there's anything wrong with it, just said I don't like it. They don't like what I listen to. And when I'm with one of them and they're listening to it, it aggravates me. Because I don't like it. And I told him one time, I said, would you please, if we're going to work together, you're going to have to put that away because I'm not working with you if you're going to listen to that music. And he said, well, I don't care whether you like it or not. <laughs> but you know what? Fortunately, we didn't separate over that. But you know how you see what Paul's saying here? He said, why do you let these petty things come between you? Remember that Christ died for you. As much as he died for me. He died for us. And because Christ has redeemed every one of us, we are to walk in love toward one another. In verse 16, Paul tells us not to allow the freedom that you enjoy to be speaking, spoken of as evil. He says, therefore, do not let what is what for you is good be a... Let me read it again. Therefore, do not let what... Is for you a good thing be slandered. Paul says there's nothing wrong with it. Unless you use it wrongfully. He said then you become a slander to you. And, and so it's spoken of as easel. Don't overestimate the importance of certain freedoms. And we should never underestimate the power and the importance of the cross of Jesus Christ. You see Paul's pointing. He's saying look. He's saying you people are over here saying you know what. You, you can't eat, you can't drink, you can't dance, you can't smoke, you can't do all this stuff. And you got these over here saying, well, yes, I can do all these things. And Paul says, you know what you two people need to do? He said, you need to get together and look at the cross. And realize how unimportant these things you're arguing over are. And that's what we need to do sometimes. We need to get together. We need to look at the cross of Christ and see the importance of it. Verse 17, he says, The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
For he who is in the way serves Christ, in this way serves Christ is pleasing to God and approved by men. <clears throat> so then, he says, let us pursue things which make for peace and building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Blessed is he who does not judge himself in what he approves. But, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. So what's Paul saying here? Well, Paul's saying don't, don't underestimate the importance of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, he said, is about righteousness and peace and the Holy Spirit. And these things are what really matter. And as believers, we should prioritize. And I like the way that he puts this. I am to prioritize building you up. You are to prioritize building me up. It's not something that we do, you know, if the opportunity comes along. He says that's what you should be doing all the time. That should be your first thing on your mind. How do I build up my brothers and sisters in Christ? How do I help them get closer to God? How do I help them know God? How do I help them become stronger in their faith? Paul says these are the things that are important to us. These things really matter. As believers, we must prioritize it. We can do great damage to the church by living self-centeredly. Have you ever seen that? I have. I saw it that day, that, that, that night at that meeting over the piano and the organ. I mean, this was in a very, very small community. About like this. Everybody in that community knew what happened. How do you think those people looked at that church? Yeah. Oh, yeah, they said, oh, there's a godly people there. Huh? Laughing stocks. Yeah. You, you, you know what they did that day? They did what Paul said up there in verse 16. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be slandered. They slandered the name of Christ. And when we understand that our priority is not that I get my way or you get your way or that we do what I like or we do what you like, but the priority is we do what glorifies God. We preach the gospel. We love one another. We worship Him in spirit and in truth. And the kingdom of God, Paul says, is more than about food or drink. Throughout history, the church, there have been unnecessary divisions over non-essential things. There's an often quoted line that says something like this. It says, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, love. Love. Verse 23 says that no one should eat unclean food if he has a doubt about the rightness of the activity. And he says, 
Any believer who does not do anything through faith, then it's sin. Whatever is not of faith is sin. Right? So Paul here is appealing to the conscience. And he's saying, you know what? If I think it's all right to get out and cut a rug and dance with my wife, but another believer, and I have known them, that think that's wrong. He said, just don't do it in front of them. It's just that simple. <laughs> and don't flaunt it to them. Don't say, oh, you need to grow up and you need to become more mature in the faith. You need to be more like me. You know what that's called? Pride. Self-centeredness. See, here's, here's the mistake that, that these men were making, these people here in Rome were making, and it's the same mistake we still make today. We have this idea, number one, that our salvation's about us, and we forget that it's about Him. And then we have this idea that our Christian life is about us, when it's really about Him. And Paul says, so you, you get your eyes off of where they belong, and you get your eyes on yourself, and then you begin to walk in self-centeredness. Faith glorifies God because it shows that we are trusting in God. <clears throat> he says, look, if this guy over here thinks it's wrong to eat meat sacrificed to idols, and Paul's already said there's nothing wrong with that meat. He said, because idols are not a real thing. They're the idols they were, they, they were sacrificing to that they were not real deities. So Paul says, there's nothing wrong with that meat. But if it bothers you to eat it, don't eat it. And he says to this guy over here, look, if it doesn't bother you to eat it, then eat it. But if it offends him when you eat it, then don't eat it in front of him. If it offends you because he won't eat it, then just leave him alone. You know why? Because that's a non-essential thing. Because Paul says, look, if you eat meat, then you're going to heaven. If you don't, you're not. You're going to hell. Is that what he says? No. He says, you're going to heaven if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, whether you eat meat or whether you don't. Whether you dance or whether you don't. Whether you play cards or whether you don't. Whether you smoke or whether you don't. You know why? Because those do not get us in or out of heaven. There's only one thing that does, and that's what he says. And he says, look... We need to be unified in the things that matter. And I will tell you something, folks. When you and I, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, in this local assembly church right here, when we become unified and understand that our sole purpose is to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost and dying, we'll see God move. We'll see Him move. Now, He may not fill this church up with people. That's not what he's called us to do. As I used to tell you all the time, I hadn't said this in a long time. We need to understand that we are not here to bring people to church. We're here to bring people to Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. And let him send them to church where he wants them to go. All right, so Paul says that our faith glorifies God by trusting him. Then look at verse uh, chapter 15. He says, now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to his building up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. 
For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that throughout the perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have, for through the perseverance and encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Now may the God of perseverance and encouragement grant you to be the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6 is the culmination of everything Paul's been saying. So that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But here in chapter 15, Paul summarizes how the strong should treat the weak. And, and we have an example. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life a ransom for many. You know what I found about being a servant? Every Christian says, I want to be a servant of the Lord. I want to be a servant. Everybody wants to be a servant until they get treated like one. I want to tell you, and actually, you know, the word servant is actually not the right word. It's the word slave. Slaves usually don't get treated very well. And we say, I want to be a slave for the Lord Jesus Christ. But the minute you get treated like a slave, you don't like that. And here, Paul summarizes. He says that Jesus is our example. Put others first. The strong in the faith should modify their conduct for the good of the weak. We should not live, Paul says, we are not to live to please ourselves. Listen, in a church, if you live to please yourself, you're going to have nothing but trouble. In a marriage, if one or the other lives only to please themselves, they're going to have trouble. Because as believers, we cannot do that. Because our example is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I come in here and I say, okay, look, I'm the pastor. From now on, this is what I want to do. And you say, well, show me in the scriptures. And I say, look, it doesn't matter. It's what I think we should do. You know what you should do in that situation, right? You should open them doors, bend me over, and kick me right out. Because it's not about me. It's not about you. Now, th th there's going to be instances come up where we say, you know what, we need to do this, we need to do that. Somebody's going to have an opinion. This person's going to have a different opinion. And, and, and what often happens is somebody says, well, I think we should do this. And somebody else says, well, I think it'd be better for the church if we do this. Next thing you know, you got to fight. When all we have to do is step back and say, you know what, it's not about me. You know what, brother? You know what, sister? If that's what you think we should do, then let's do it. See how easy that is? <laughs> Evidently, you never tried it if you think it's easy. But, <laughs> but that's what Paul's calling us to do. We should not please ourselves. And Paul is clear. It's selfish. To trample on the conscience of the weak. And it all comes down to loving one another. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. 
Paul says, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, fulfill my joy that you may think the same way by maintaining the same love, being united in the Spirit, thinking on one purpose, doing nothing from selfish ambition or vainglory, but with humility of mind. Okay, now y'all ready for this next part? If you have a highlighter or a pen or a pencil, you need to highlight, underline, circle, whatever, memorize this last part. Regarding one another as more important than yourselves. Now, I realize that naturally that's what we do, right? No, it's not. Paul says, regarding one another as more important than yourself. Look at verse 4. Not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Have this way of thinking in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who... Although existing in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So Paul says, look, you need to have the mind of Christ. And here's what the mind of Christ was. He was God in the flesh. But he didn't walk around flaunting the fact that he was God in the flesh. He humbled himself, became a slave, and was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Okay? But it didn't end there. Look at verse 9, Philippians 2. Therefore... God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Apostle Peter, the Apostle James, the Apostle Paul, all three in their letters tell us something. That God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Peter tells us that if we will humble ourselves, God will exalt us in due time. Here we are called to humble ourselves. He says, regarding one another as more important than yourselves. That your needs, your wants, your desires should be much more important to me than my own. That's hard to do. Isn't it? Or is it just me? I hope it's not just me. All of us do this. And, and basically what he says, what, what happens when I regard you as being more important than me... And you regard me as being important than yourselves. Then we stop tearing down and we start building up. Because you see, if I regard myself as more important than you, then I'm going to build myself up. I'm going to take care of me. 
So if you turn that around and I regard you as being more important to me, then I'm going to do the same thing for you that I would do for me, which is building you up. Loving you. I mean, we all want to be loved. We all want to be liked. You show me somebody that says, I don't care if anybody likes me and I'll show you a liar. We all do. And Paul says, look, we must give preference to one another. And, and Paul gives us the theological basis for this there in verses 3 and 4 of, of Romans 15. He says, for even Christ did not please himself. But it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So what Paul is saying there is, that that's a quote uh, from Psalm 69, I think, where Paul, uh, Jesus, the psalmist is saying, and, and in reference to Jesus, all those who hated me, all those who slandered me, all those who, who talked down about to me and talked bad about me, he, they, he said they have fallen on me. And, and Paul says that if Jesus gave up the glory of heaven and his own life, then surely you and I can give up a few liberties for one another. And when Paul quotes there from Psalm 69 to show what kind of attitude Jesus had, Paul tells us that the Old Testament was written for us. It was written for us that we can read and see what they did, what they said, how they suffered, how they overcame. And he said, that's all for you. Okay? Believers can do hard things through the encouragement of Scripture. That's what he says right there in verse... Um, for, for whatever was written in earlier times is written for our instruction, so that through the perseverance and encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. As we look at how they overcame, how they endured. And Paul says these are an encouragement for us. Let us imitate or meditate on these in order to see our Savior and follow His ways. Listen. The goal of the Christian life, the goal is that we will be like Christ. That one day we'll stand in His presence and look at Him and, and fall at His feet. And God the Father will look at us and say, my children. You want to be like Christ? Do you know what the sanctification process is? It's making us like Christ. The end result will be when we stand before Him and we're like Him. You know, uh, in 1 John, John says, you know what? He says, I don't know what He's like, but I know that when I see Him, I'm going to be like Him. Because I'll see Him as He is. And that's what we're looking forward to. And we must meditate on this and understand that, that, that we look at the Savior. It's not that one day I'll be glad when that day comes when I can finally be like Jesus. And we need to understand that every day of our life is to be lived in preparation for that. Through the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. And that every day I'm to be made more and more like Christ. I want to tell you something, folks. If you're not more like Christ today than you were yesterday, you're backslidden. It's just that simple. You are. There, there, there is no level ground. You're, it's an uphill walk. And when you stop, you slide. And tomorrow, if I'm not more like Christ than I am today, something's wrong. 
Because that's where we're working towards. And as I become more like Jesus, then I become to see how Christ gave himself up for us. The, God, uh, the Son of God, God in human flesh. He left a throne. He left the worship of a myriad of angels and came to this earth and suffered the indignities of being called a man. And he suffered at the hands of his creation because of us. And I don't mean that he died for our sins just because of us. I mean everything he endured was because of us. Because of his own. And he said, I regard them as important. Verse 5 and 6 is a wonderful prayer for unity. Where Paul says, now may the God of perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. So that with one accord, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, one of the most wonderful things we have to look forward to is that one day, all this will be done. One day Jesus will come. One day we will be in heaven with him. And every single voice in heaven, every single one, angels and men and women, will all say one thing in unison. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. We will have one voice and we will glorify God. But listen, we don't have to wait till we get to heaven to do that. We can do it right here, right now in this place. And that's what we should be doing. And this is what all of this is for. It's a unity that is Christ-centered and follows the example of Jesus. It's this kind of unity that requires prayer and the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you something. In your daily time when you pray, do you ever pray for this chapel? Do you pray for the people here? Do you pray that God will help us to love one another more and more? Do you pray that God will fill us with all wisdom and spiritual knowledge? Do you pray that we will grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, uh, you've heard me mention many times before, you know, I've never been in a church yet that did not have a prayer list. And one of the things that I have found about that prayer list is this. We have more people on that prayer list who are sick Christians that we're praying to keep out of heaven than there are lost people we're praying to keep out of hell. Does that seem right? Hey, I'm going to tell you something, folks. If I get sick and near death, please don't pray for God to heal me. I'm serious. I want to go. Now, I don't want to leave my wife. But I'm going to tell you something. She already knows this. I love him more than I love her. Don't keep me out of heaven. But I want to tell you something. There are people in our lives everywhere. There are people in this community that are lost and on their way to a hell for eternity. And some of them may be the ones that God has called as his elect. And we need to pray for them. And we need to not only pray for them, we need to be uh, 
faithful in proclaiming the message of the gospel to them. I want to tell you, my prayers won't save anybody, but the preaching of the gospel will. So this is the kind of unity that we need. Unity where we are unified in our, in our purpose. And our purpose is to do everything in our power to glorify God. That should be our purpose as a church. That's why we exist, is to glorify God. We don't exist so that I can have a job. We don't exist so you have somewhere to go every Sunday. We exist to glorify God. And that's what we're called to do. And loving one another is part of that. And in order for the church to have unity, a unity that transcends preferences and differences and disputed matters, we need God to enable us. And that's what Paul says there. <clears throat> he says, now may the God of perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. We need the mind of Christ. That's how we overcome these petty differences. When we have the mind of Christ and, and we always look at others as being more important than ourselves. I think about the Lord Jesus Christ as he hung upon the cross. Again, God in the flesh. The creator of everything. Hanging on a cross. The one who said, don't you know that I could call 12 legions of angels? They're at my beck and call. The one who triumphed over Satan, who came to destroy the works of the devil, and he succeeded, by the way. But he's hanging here on a cross while his creation is down there mocking him and laughing at him. He said, Father, forgive them. Why didn't he get down? That's right. Because at that moment, I was more important than he was. Can we exceed that example? We need God to enable us to have the mind of Christ and to love one another. You know, one of the things I love about that love one another is you don't have choice. You have to love me. Of course, you know I have to love you too. But you know that I don't love you because I have to. Because I want to tell you, a have to love is not a real love. I love you because I love you. God loves us who are His own because He loves us. He doesn't love me because I'm a preacher. He doesn't love me because I'm good. Because I'm not. He loves me because He's God. Isn't that wonderful? So he says, you love one another the way I've loved you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning, oh God, for your word. And Father, we recognize that there are so many non-essential things that we often fight over. Father, forgive us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be united with one voice, praising the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, that we would be united with one purpose, to glorify your holy name. Father, help us to love one another the way that you have loved us. 
that the world may know that we are your disciples. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.